Oh, please pray with me before we look at this passage. Let us pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we come to your word now and we pray that by your spirit you might help us to listen well. By your grace we pray that we would respond in repentance, faith and obedience that comes from that. Enable me to speak with clarity, power, conviction, love for the good of God's people, for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open at that passage in in John chapter 12. Well, payday, payday, the word is music to most people's ears. Uh, Maybe you are like Ron. For for Ron, payday is a day to watch uh, your bank balance rise. It's a day to pay off bills and credit cards, a day to splurge on new shoes or a night out, It's a day that keeps him going. Or maybe you feel more like Rhonda. Rhonda is a young mum whose husband is on a small salary and she works part-time as well. As a Christian, she's been taught to give a portion of her wage to the gospel, but she won't do that until the debts are paid off. And that will be in about 10 years. Although they can afford their rent, Uh, She lies to Centrelink about their income. She purchases clothes and then wears them three or four times with the tags on and then returns them. She takes office supplies from work and constantly checks their bank balance and has a panic attack when the balance dips. She can't stop thinking about money. Both Ron and Rhonda are slaves to money, And they're struggling with devotion to Jesus. Today, God challenges us to consider our devotion to Jesus and how that impacts our attitudes and our words and our our giving. In John chapter 11, Jesus had come to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. He had power to do that because if you were here last week, do you remember he is the resurrection and the life? Chapter 11 finished with the Jewish leaders plotting to take his life and so Jesus had headed north and people are wondering if Jesus will come back to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's now six days before the Passover, six days before Jesus' death and he has returned to Bethany and is at a dinner that's been prepared for him. At this dinner we will see a great act of devotion. Our first of three points, if you're following on your outline in the new sheet, our first and major point is devotion to the king who dies. You may know that back then people would uh, sit at a very low table and they'd sit on cushions or, or mats with their legs out to the side. And during the meal, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who'd been brought back from the dead, she comes up to Jesus. She kneels before him. And she takes about 340 mil of perfume. She pours it on Jesus. The perfume or oil from this perfume, it comes from the root and spike of the spike nard plant from India. It's very expensive. It's not a lower quality perfume that you'd buy from Bethany Supermarket or Bethany Chemist Warehouse. 
we're told that this is worth a year's wages. What might that compare to today? Maybe $40,000. Mary has poured it out on Jesus in an extravagant gift, showing extraordinary and radical generosity. Maybe you could compare that to giving away your new car, your entire savings, your superannuation. It's extravagant, radical generosity. But it's not just thrown away thoughtlessly. Her generosity is directed personally to the Lord Jesus. And the wiping with her hair is also a very personal act. Normally, in public, a woman's hair would not be unbound, but she wipes the perfume from Jesus' feet with her hair. Deep feelings of loyalty and love are motivating Mary here. This is a different event from the anointing of Jesus by a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. There, Jesus' feet are also anointed, but he was at a Pharisee's house and the sinful woman touching him was the issue. Whereas the anointing that occurs near his death in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, it's probably the same one that John records here. That means that Mary also anointed Jesus' head with the perfume. But there's more than enough for just his head. And John focuses on the perfume that's on Jesus' feet. As Jesus will wash the disciples' feet in the next chapter, Mary is washing Jesus' feet here, emphasizing her humility and her self-humbling Just as Mary was at the feet of Jesus in Luke 10, listening to his word, and she was at the feet of Jesus when she was overwhelmed by grief at her brother's death, chapter 11. Now she is again at his feet. It shows her devotion, it shows her dependence and humility before her Lord. But notice how Judas Iscariot responds. Why wasn't this money sold? Given and the money given to the poor. Some, maybe you, sympathize with this. I mean, $40,000 just poured out on one person in one act. But Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor. As John explains, he wanted to help himself to a share of the money and as a thief, take some for himself. I guess as the treasurer, he was good at covering his tracks. But Jesus doesn't side with him as noble as his intentions sounded. Leave her alone, Jesus replies in verse 7. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day or the time of my burial. Whether or not Mary was conscious, consciously doing it for this reason, we cannot know. But God's purpose was that This was a way of preparing for Jesus' burial. Normally a body would be anointed after death, but this anticipates Jesus' death. And remember, it's just six days before the Passover. 
Remember the Passover is the time when the Jews remembered the Lord slaying the firstborn of Egypt, but passing over and saving his people who'd sacrificed a lamb. John, in mentioning the Passover, is surely indicating that the Lord Jesus is about to go to his own death as a sacrificial lamb to deliver his people. And so Mary's anointing anticipates Jesus' substitutionary death for sinners. And he will be lifted up on a cross so that everyone who looks to him and believes in him will have eternal life. But who is it that is going to be crucified? It is the king. Please know that in verse 3, when you in the NIV read the word poured, poured, the, the word is anointed. Mary anointed Jesus' feet. And do you remember that the word Messiah or Christ means the anointed one? And, and Christ, the anointed one, that, that means he's the promised king and saviour of God's people. Mary has anointed the king who amazingly will soon die to save his people. So Jesus tells Judas to leave her alone and he commends her generosity. And the contrast between Mary and Judas could not be greater. In love she gives, in sin he takes. Mary is at the feet of Jesus in adoring love, offering extravagant devotion. Judas sits in condescending arrogance, not only questioning Mary's action, but Jesus is judging Jesus' willingness to accept her gift. But she has done it out of devotion to him. She is surely filled with love and thankfulness for Christ bringing her brother back from the dead, filled with love for Jesus, who in 11 verse 5, we're told loved her. But it seems that she has a sense that he will die soon. And out of love for her Saviour and Lord who loves her, she has done this. This very costly act is a sign of her love and devotion. And that's because Jesus deserves the richest treasures of our self-giving. In response to Jesus' love and grace, in response to his dying for us, would any price be too high? Would any price be too high for you? In Les Miserables, the main character, Jean Valjean, is a bitter ex-convict. He steals silverware from a bishop who took him in and showed him kindness. Valjean is arrested and fancifully tells the police that uh, he tells the police that uh, the bishop had given it to him. And the amazing thing is that the bishop covers for him. In an act of radical grace, the bishop says he had given Valjean the silverware and that he even forgot the silver candlesticks as he hands them over. This act of mercy 
shakes Valjean to the core and he chooses to let grace have its way in him. He gives up his deep self-pity and bitterness and he begins to live a life of grace toward others. And so we see that grace calls for a response. How does God want you to respond to the grace he's shown you in Jesus? Melody works at her church office. She's a joy and she's energy and enthusiasm personified. Melody also has cancer. And she is bald from her chemo treatments. Melody's church had a long-anticipated Sunday the day before where people had the chance to give a special offering in support of the mission fund. Now on this Monday morning, Melody was still glowing as she spoke with her pastor, still glowing from how we had all experienced God's grace. And she was getting tears in her eyes as she said, what a great Sunday in the history of the church. She told her pastor, thank you for giving us this opportunity to give. Her pastor, C.J. Mahaney, writes, I stood there feeling so humbled, feeling I was on holy grounds. Melody had spent many days lying sick in bed and looking death in the eye. But there is joy in her heart and a power from God upon her that I can only behold and envy and rejoice in, says her pastor. What explains that joy? Melody has contemplated what happened at Gethsemane. So when you talk with her about suffering, it's the Saviour's suffering that she's more aware of than any adversity that she's experienced. Melody is also aware that because of the Saviour's unique suffering for her on the cross, she's deriving indescribable comfort from him. And what she finds is a new song in her heart that is ultimately for God's praise and God's glory. Melody is like Mary in John 12. So thankful for the Saviour that it shows in devotion and generosity. Generous giving. Jesus is worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of your devotion. And so I ask, how should we show that? By loving and trusting him in our hearts, indeed. By listening to and obeying his word. And by a life of sacrificial service that we live in response to his grace. And that sacrificial response to his grace, it will be seen even in our giving. If someone looked at your life and they looked at your priorities, would they say, would they see that you're a person who's devoted to Jesus? If someone looked at what you spend your time and your money on, would they see that you're a person who's devoted to Jesus? 
Jesus says in verse 8, the poor you will always have among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus has died, risen again, returned to heaven. And we can't pour perfume on Jesus today. And we are not to pit practical compassion for the poor against extravagant devotion to Jesus. This passage doesn't justify stinginess. The poor are not to be forgotten. Now we do have God-given responsibilities to provide financially materially for ourselves and our families. That's not an excuse for selfishness and greediness. In Luke chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus calls his disciples to give to the poor. And as Jesus declares here in John 12, no scheme to eradicate poverty will ever be successful until the new heavens and new earth replace this world of sorrow and sin. Still, we should respond to Jesus with gratitude by helping the poor. Jesus said, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 25, when we care for believers who are hungry and thirsty or without clothes or sick or in prison, when we care for them and meet their needs, we do it for Jesus. We do it for Jesus. And therefore, one way that we show our love and devotion for Jesus is by giving to the poor. But I suggest that another way that we show our devotion to Jesus is by generous giving to Jesus' mission. His mission of building the church and the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. Remember, don't you remember the Great Commission in Matthew 28? His mission of making disciples and all of them, us included, being taught to obey him. In the Philippians, in Philippians, Paul is thankful for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel and also for their support in gospel ministry, which pleases God. And so I ask, how are you going in your giving? Are you giving regularly to the gospel ministry that's happening in and through this church? As 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Please don't hear me pressuring or guilting you into giving. As that passage says, God wants our giving to be cheerful and willing and come as our overflowing joy in Christ wells up in rich generosity. Don't be a slave to money like Ron or Rhonda. I know sometimes finances can be really tight. And yet still, if we know our King Jesus has loved us and given himself for us, our devotion will show in action with our time our energy, our money, as we're able and as our circumstances allow. 
When the love of Christ fills us and the sacrificial death of Christ moves us, we want to be generous. Mary wanted to be generous. How does God want you to respond? Our next two points are more brief. So secondly, devotion to the king of peace. Verse 12, it's the next day, it's Palm Sunday. A great crowd has gathered for the Passover feast. Jews have gathered from everywhere, and I'm sure that would have included many Jews who were familiar with Paul, with, with Jesus, many people familiar with Jesus who've come down from Galilee. Oh, they take palm branches and they go out to meet him. Palm branches had become a national symbol. It expressed the people's nationalistic hopes, their hopes of Israel rising above their enemies. And they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they quote Psalm 118, Psalm 118, 25 and 26. But the people go a step further than this psalm, even declaring Jesus to be the king of Israel. Jesus is the king of Israel. More than that, though, he's the king of God's kingdom, the king of creation, the king of kings. And while Hosanna had come to be an expression of praise, as a footnote in your Bible may have, the word literally means save us. Like Psalm 118.25, save us. And this is ironic because the king is entering the city to save God's people by dying for them. Those who trust in him, he would save from sin and judgment and death He's not come to save the Jews from Roman rule. And so Jesus doesn't come into the city on a war horse as much as they'd hoped for that sort of king. Jesus fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. He intentionally enters the city on a donkey's colt to fulfill scripture. And the disciples, we're told, only later realized and understood this, this connection to scripture. But it shows that Jesus is the king of peace. The next two verses in Zechariah chapter 9, he's the king of peace, who's come to bring peace, the peace God promised in Zechariah 9, an end to war and a proclamation of peace to the nations. So the kingdom Jesus is bringing wasn't about war or politics or the promotion of Israel. Firstly, it was peace with God. The king of peace came to bring peace with God and peace for God's people. When Jesus returns again, then he will bring perfect peace for his people in a new heaven and earth where there will be no more war. But now Jesus enables sinners to find peace with God by his blood. As Zechariah 9 verse 11 is promising, it's by his blood. It's by the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that comes by faith. 
So I ask, do you know that the king of Israel, the king of kings, died to give you peace with God? Have you found peace with God? Or do you remain his enemy? I hope you're trusting in him for that peace with God. And I hope that you and I will be ever thankful for him. The people go out of their way to meet and praise Jesus their king. Does your devotion to Jesus show itself in praise? In joyful singing? With a glad heart? And with words of praise in your prayers? But this proclaiming peace to the nations is something that's still to be done. And Christ amazingly continues to do this through his people, even us. That leads us to our third point, devotion to the king worth talking about. Coming back to John chapter 12, verse 10, it says that many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him because of Lazarus. And those who'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and most of them, a lot of them believed, 11 verse 45 says. So they'd seen it, they believed in Jesus, and look at what they do in verse 17. They continued to spread the word. They bore witness to Jesus, they testified to him. And so many people went out to meet Jesus. And the Pharisees say, look, the whole world is going after him. Those who know what Jesus did are telling others who then come to Jesus too. That can be us. We didn't see Lazarus raised from the dead with our eyes, but we believe the eyewitness testimony. We've seen and experienced God's work in our own lives We believe that Jesus is the king who who died to bring us peace with God. We know he did. We know he did. And so we have a story to tell. We have good news to share. Because while people all over the world have come to Jesus in faith, many more have not. And so we need people still to go to the world and spread the word. We need people in our country, in our city, to spread the word. Will your devotion to Jesus show in what you talk about? Will your devotion to Christ give you a desire to help others come to know him and come to him? Maybe you could bring and heat up hot cross buns at your workplace for morning tea. As Easter comes in two weeks, could you invite a a friend to church, invite a friend to church to hear good news in a world of 
sorrow and uncertainty. Could you invite someone to church? Or tomorrow when your work colleague asks how your weekend was, could you say, at church we were thinking about what we're really committed to and devoted to and I was challenged to think about whether I'm really committed to Jesus. I was just wondering, have you heard much about Jesus before? We can't do that every week and not with every person. But we can ask a question and we can listen well because Jesus is the king worth talking about. I close by getting us to again consider how our devotion to Jesus will show in generosity. Rachel MacDonald from Matthias Media in Sydney considered the early Christians in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. These early Christians selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to those who had need. And she writes that we, I think we here do as well, we today, find this confronting. She writes, we stay in our seats at church. We ask politely about each other over tea and coffee. We pray for needs at Bible study, but rarely go out of our way or make a significant sacrifice for another. We're terrified of being defrauded or suffering wrong. We skim right over the having glad and generous hearts there. In verse 46. Maybe we need to stop, Rachel says, take a breath, loosen our grip on our possessions and time and hearts, look around. Christian author Rosaria Butterfield credits the gentle love and practical care of an older couple as being the way God revealed himself to her and the prayer and counsel of women in her church as being how God helped lead her away from comfort with sin. I doubt the couple that shared their warmth with Butterfield started sacrificing their resources from pure affection for her, but rather because of the Jesus-inspired love that comes from the Holy Spirit and the biblical conviction that Following God means loving others. There's a woman in my church, Rachel MacDonald says, who is called Auntie by just about every child under three and their parents too. She's the one who gives the parents of newborns a chance to hear the sermon by soothing their crying baby. She's the one who answers questions about making animal-shaped birthday cakes. She gives calming words amidst colic and she has a Costco membership that she's happy to use for others. Is she the most experienced parent in the church? Probably not. But who needs to be an expert in order to love? Devotion to Jesus, the king who died to bring us peace with God, changes us. He's worth living for. He's worth speaking about. His mission 
is worth sacrificing our time, our money for. His extravagant love calls us to us to respond with extravagant love and grace, generosity and devotion. So let's pray that we will show devotion to the King who's worthy. Let's pray. Almighty God, when we look at our own hearts, we see how often our hearts are divided. We can be driven by our fears and insecurities. And now we see our devotion for other things. Please forgive us for our sin, our lack of love for Christ who loved us first and loved us unto death. Move us, Lord, to be struck afresh by his love for us and fill us with love and devotion for Christ, our King. And may that show in the way we use our time, our energy, may it show in the way we love others and the way we give to things that matter to you. Make us a generous people for the glory of Christ's name and the extension of his church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.